To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a nature show host. In the native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got GEICO, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself, awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. GEICO will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. GEICO. Great service. Without all the drama. Your city. Your podcast. Hello and welcome back. To Back to the Berg, presented by the PodHub Network. Been gone for a couple weeks. Had to take a few weeks off, you know, recharge everything. But today, my guest grew up in Fulton County, Pennsylvania, but now resides in McKeesport, and he eventually found himself at West Virginia University, where he thought he wanted to be a brain surgeon. But luckily for all of us, he didn't do that. We get to read his words and see his creative mind do whatever it wants. Please welcome my my new friend. Hunter Homestead. Hunter, hey. what's up? <laughs> Yo, what's up, dude? Dude, that's one of the best intros I think I've ever gotten, I've ever received. You're a man who did your research. You even pronounced my name correctly, which is like all the gold stars right there. Ring them up, man. That's impressive. Hey, that's what I, I, I needed that few weeks off to get back in the groove. You know, I was I was on a streak there where I was pronouncing people's names wrong. Just needed a couple weeks off, and here we are. You came back slamming with Homestech too. You came in with a challenge. That's like Steelers Ravens on your first week back. I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Hunter, it was, it's awesome to meet you. Finally, we've been trying to get this done for a couple weeks now. Um, but yeah, just tell me about yourself. Tell me like, what, what was it like growing up in Fulton County, Pennsylvania? I've never heard of that. That's like a recurring theme on this show. It's like, I didn't know what was 15 minutes outside of Beaver County. <laughs> yeah, man, that that's that's really funny. And most people for sure don't know Fulton County. It's like every time we go somewhere and somebody asks me where I'm from, I just kind of default to Breezewood, PA, yeah. because Breezewood is this hub like right off the turnpike. If you're going, you know, anywhere in PA, it's right in the center on the turnpike. Like most people at least know the Breezewood Turnpike Exchange. And I, I grew up about 20 minutes from that in McConnellsburg, Pennsylvania. So it was crazy, man. It, it's a little different than Pittsburgh, to say the least, like, uh, Fulton County is famous for this fun fact, fun, real fact. There's more cows than people in Fulton County. So that's beautiful. Very rural, very farmy, obviously. Uh, grew up in, in that realm, man. And there's definitely things about it that I love. You know, I think it's funny how everything online is shifting to these little communities. You know, you look at social media and it's all just little groups, little communities, things like that. It's funny because growing up in Fulton County, that's exactly how that felt. It was like the real life version of a social media group. You know, everybody, yeah. everybody knew everybody. Your business was everybody's business, whether you wanted it to be or not. And <laughs> everybody's your friend, but everybody can quickly become your enemy, too, man. So it's like just an interesting place to grow up for sure. And I would not have traded that for anything. I think it's actually been super valuable for me to transition away from there into, you know, a, a bigger city, Pittsburgh's not a big city by any means, but it's, you know, enormous compared to Fulton County. So to kind of get both sides of the coin, man, I've been very fortunate, had a lot of cool experiences there. Yeah. It's, it seems like you learned a lot of lessons socially early on in your life, which is great. I mean, not a lot of people get that experience, you know, they, they go to the big city, you know, Pittsburgh, <laughs> right. In this case, but then they'll go there and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so displaced. I don't know how to inter interact with people. And it's like, having that small town mentality and like knowing everybody and being able to talk to everybody really helps you in a city atmosphere. It truly does, man. And I think it's also like given me 
uh, I won't say a greater appreciation because there's a lot of people obviously who grow up and just bleed Pittsburgh from the city. And even though I'm not from here, I still definitely relate with those people because I think growing up in such a small town, it's made me appreciate a lot of the things that the city has to offer because I know that you can't just get this everywhere. Like I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who are from the area, but like a suburb, like somebody from South Hills could be like, Oh, I never go to North Hills or I never really go to Lawrenceville. Like I never see the city because this is just where I grew up and I stay in my little suburb basically. And that's always been so crazy to me. So like I come here and I want to see it all. Like I want to go everywhere. I want to experience everything. So it's kind of cool. I think getting that, you know, coming from Fulton County versus actually growing up here has in some cases, like I said, not all cases, but given me a greater appreciation, I think for what the city does have to offer. Yeah, I'd agree because I mean, I grew up in Beaver County. I was like a 35 minute drive from the city and it's like, whenever I went, I wanted to go everywhere, you know? And like you're saying, all those suburbs and everything, everybody's like, Oh, I don't really go anywhere. It's really weird to think about it that way. (laughs) It is, man. It's crazy how many people I bump into that say stuff like that. Like I'll be talking to somebody and be like, Oh, did you go to this restaurant or this brewery or see this thing? And they're like, no, I really don't leave Mount Lebanon or whatever. And it's like, what? (laughs) Like, what? There's a lot out there, man. So now let's talk about you and like your youth. Like what sports did you play growing up? Was it the usual typical like baseball, basketball, football, or were you out there playing lacrosse? No, man. I'm a funny. big lacrosse guy. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that, but that's cool, man. Lacrosse, lacrosse is pretty sweet. I watched a couple lacrosse matches, games, whatever they're officially called at WVU, <laughs> just for fun, just to watch their team. So that was that was cool. But the downside, here you go, of Fulton County, is that we literally didn't have a football team. We didn't have enough kids to field a football team. So there was no football growing up, just kind of my friends and I playing in the backyard or playing at the school playground, which sucks because football was my favorite sport to play for sure like I would rather have played football than anything my dad played football in high school and was a huge football guy uh grew that's you know why I like Pittsburgh sports and everything was his influence on all that so just grew up bleeding the Steelers and everything like a lot of kids did in in and around this area but didn't have football to actually play in school so that that definitely sucked man but I pivoted to basketball basketball was my big one that I really, really loved. Um, I ended up obviously going to WVU, but my second choice was Juniata College and could have played basketball there at the D3 level, but get up to WVU, wasn't making that team. And that's okay with me, but uh, I I loved it, man, in high school. Uh, That that was my sport for sure. When I was a senior, I, I did track. I did triple jump and high jump and 100 meter relay, just kind of for fun. I never did track in my life, but as a senior, I was like, hey, it's my last chance. Might as well go go do something else after basketball's over so that was it man no baseball for me no football no wrestling we didn't have a wrestling team either so yeah it's crazy it was kind of limited there yeah I was gonna say I had a similar experience with track and field I did it my senior year and that was it but that was because I knew we had a really good team and I never won a WPIL championship I was like (laughs) I'm gonna go I'm gonna pull LeBron D Wade whatever I'm gonna go ring chasing and go get the (laughs) title did you guys win yeah, we won. Yeah. I didn't have to do anything. Hell yeah. Just <laughs> I threw two shot puts and I, it didn't even matter. <laughs> See, that's the way it's done, LeBron. Take notes. <laughs> there we go. So you're also really into uh, combat sports. How did that, is that something that developed at a young age or did that come later on? Yeah, it came a little later. You know, I don't know how, how into the UFC space you are, but there's a huge like 
contingent of diehard, hardcore UFC MMA fans that have been watching it since UFC one and like the early pride days and things like that. And I was definitely not that guy, you know, I've never pretended that I was in on the ground level. I mean, it started in 1996, so I would have been five years old, kind of, <laughs> kind of, you know, didn't catch that train. But yeah. uh, when the ultimate fighter blew up, I'd say, you know, 2005, 2006 ish is when I started getting to the sport a lot. You know, it was like Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz and Randy Couture was everywhere. Those were the guys at the time. And my cousin, um, who actually lived out this way, Pittsburgh, Western PA, a little more in Uniontown, PA, um, he, he would always get the pay-per-views around that time, like 2006, 7, 8, you know, my sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. And we would travel, you know, every Saturday that there was a pay-per-view, we would go to his house and watch it with him. And just that experience made me fall in love with the sport so hard, man. I mean, it, anybody who's watched it, I think, likes it you don't like casually just watch one ufc card i don't think you know maybe there are a lot of those fans now with kind of the conor mcgregor effect and things like that yeah. but but back then like if you were watching it, it the, you watched it because you loved it you weren't trying it out you already knew you liked it you know so i just fell in love with it like a lot of people at that time as the sport was completely exploding and then when i got to college which we'll we'll get to why the brain surgery thing didn't happen but eventually in college if we fast forward a bit I was the editor at WVU's school newspaper, the Daily Athenaeum, and MMA just got legalized in West Virginia when I was there. So they had their first event in Morgantown ever when I was the editor of the paper. So I was like, well, I'm obviously going to go cover that. Like, <laughs> like that's me. That's my assignment, guys. I'm taking this one. So uh, I did that, man. And that was my first experience ever actually covering MMA. And from there, it just kind of spiraled. I started working for Bleacher Report when I was still in college. So I was still, I was covering MMA for Bleacher Report in college and then was getting credentialed for UFC events and stuff as a, as a college kid, which felt insane. And in retrospect actually was insane. But at yeah. the time <laughs> I, I was so naive at the time that I really didn't know better. Like it didn't feel huge or crazy to me. I was like, Oh, this is just how it works, but uh, it's not really how it works. So I was insanely fortunate for that experience. And I went on to work for MMA fighting, which is a Vox media SB nation branch and then uh flow sports and then that was it man for mma so yeah i just like a lot of people i fell in love with the sport as it was blowing up and just it it aligned with my career path as well and just worked out yeah no i mean i'm intrigued like what led to that mentality of like you didn't even think about it like you're getting credential and you're like yeah i should be but in yeah. retrospect you're like looking back you're like i shouldn't have been like what was that <laughs> mindset back then that you were like, I belong here. Yeah, I think ignorance is bliss, man. At the time, I, I literally just didn't know better. You know, I was just a, a <laughs> cock, cocky little asshole kid that was like, yeah, I work for Bleach Report. Of course, you're going to let me in. Like, not it wasn't really that aggressive, guys. Like, I wasn't wasn't <laughs> quite like that. But, but it, I mean, you could distill it down to that kind of mentality. You know, I never felt like moments were too big for me or would shy away from opportunities. Like, I've chased opportunities almost to a fault throughout my life. And that's even, you know, still something that I struggle with today is I just say yes to everything. Like I just want every chance to get out there and do something cool, even when it's maybe extending myself. So when Bleacher Report came out, came knocking, so to speak. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, like they just wanted interns at the time, which I understand. And I was a college kid provided a couple writing samples, got in and was just doing extremely well. And then they like fast tracked me in this featured columnist program. It was called, 
So then I got involved with like a little more higher up senior writers and things like that. And just slowly like became a part of their core team, just writing nonstop. I mean, you know, that grind, I'm sure yeah. like how it's got to be just content creation like crazy. So just worked my way up. And then once I was in that realm and getting credentialed, it just, it really did feel normal. Like I understand that that's not as fast as it happens for most people, but uh, Bleacher Report, it's all thanks to Bleacher Report. I mean, they're a huge, massive outlet. They're even bigger now than they were then, obviously. But even at the time, they were, you know, one of the leaders in sports. So when when they say they want to cover a UFC event, the UFC says, yeah, sure, come on in, because we know hundreds of thousands of people are going to see this. Yeah. So I want to get back to that in a little bit, but we have to backtrack a little bit. We, we've been talking about WVU a little bit. We got to find out how you got in there and how the hell you thought you were going to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it all comes back to you see Cody to that cocky asshole comment that I made <laughs> because uh, so I did extremely well in school always. Like I was always that kid that didn't study and just did well in the tests and got good grades and things like that, which uh, my sister is the exact opposite. She studied like crazy, still got good grades, but we got there two very different ways. You know, she was very organized, very studying, taking notes, studying the notes. And she is uh, three years older than me, four years older than me, and was already in WVU when I was in high school. And she was on the med school path. She's act she is a doctor now, actually, in Charlotte, North Carolina. She did, she did the damn thing, as they yeah. say. So, uh, <laughs> So I was just in high school and truly had no idea what I wanted to do at the time at all. So my mentality was just like, oh, well, if Cody's going to be a doctor, I got to one up her, you know, <laughs> I got to, I'm going to be a brain surgeon then because yeah, yeah. that it, it was just, it was like the craziest thing I could think of. And I mean, I had, like I said, I had the grades, the SAT scores, I had everything I needed to qualify for almost wherever I wanted to go, which felt amazing. But I was like, let's stick kind of close to home let's one up Cody my sister and, and let's see what we can do here and then obviously I get in probably sophomore year organic chemistry and it wasn't funny anymore like the joke wasn't <laughs> wasn't cool anymore I was instantly like, like one upping your sister wasn't that <laughs> funny anymore <laughs> no it's like this is not worth being miserable over actually so Orga it took or organic chemistry broke me, man. It really did. Because like I said, I was always the kid who didn't study for anything and just showed up and took the test. And that even worked freshman year of college, the same mentality worked. And then organic chemistry happened and uh, it didn't work anymore, to say the least. I remember getting that final exam and literally just looking at every question because like, I'm sure, you know, like in college, you don't have to show up for class. Like uh, sometimes they have, you know, attendance requirements, but this class didn't. Well, so, my college was a little different. We only had like 13 students. In the <laughs> so it was fair. like, you're not there. You're getting an email. Okay. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. In these 200 person auditoriums at WVU, yeah, no one cares. professor didn't care too much. So I showed up, took the final. I looked at every question and I was like, they're all open-ended, you know, no multiple choice, no nothing. It was all open-ended. And I was like, I literally can't answer one of these. <laughs> and I, I actually wrote, sorry, at the end of the test. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I'm sorry that this is so bad. You know, I apologize for not oh, taking this goodness. class seriously. Cause I, I, so it, it hit me right then. I'm like, okay, this is not the way, like, this is not cool to just do this anymore. So I knew that I was either a going to have to devote my life to chemistry and organic chemistry and these classes to get where I wanted to go, which obviously my sister did. So I saw her doing that. I knew what I had to do. 
And I said, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so around the same time, funny enough, one of my cousins knew a guy who had this heavy metal uh, blog CD reviews and there he was looking for a writer as well. And I played music. I've played guitar since I was like 13 years old and was in a metal band, like through high school and college. And I love, I love heavy metal, like the heavier, the better. So when it was like, Oh, you could try writing CD reviews, just see if you like it or whatever. And I, I just freaking loved it, man. Like yeah. writing, I always knew I liked writing and literature in general, just from high school. Like I took an AP uh, English lit class that I completely loved. So I always knew that I enjoyed writing in general. And actually my teacher for that AP class in high school told me when I told her I was going to WVU to be a brain surgeon, she said, Hunter, you're not going to be a brain surgeon. You're going to be a writer. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay. And at the time, you know, I didn't think much of it, but shout out Miss Henry, you were writing then <laughs> called that. So yeah, man, I uh, started writing the CD reviews and then I was like, how can I transition locally into doing this at WVU? Like, what can I do for college that is like this? And obviously thought of journalism, got into journalism school, started working for the school's newspaper and everything just instantly made so much more sense to me. Like I was going to class because I enjoyed the classes. Like I genuinely enjoyed learning about journalism and kind of that strict old school reporter base like that's kind of what they teach you in the fundamentals I guess you could say of journalism in college yeah. like it was really fun to just learn all that and work at the paper obviously it gave me so many amazing opportunities to cover music and sport a little bit of MMA when it came and stuff like that so without that there's no doubt I wouldn't be able to, to have done what I did because that was the foundation for literally everything that came next yeah I mean I thinking about it like thinking back to it on my own experience I should have been similar to your experience where it's like you know you had the teacher your senior year or whatever you take your writing class you're really good at it and then they're like you're going to be a writer I probably could have should have been a writer but I hated writing like I hate mm -hmm. I hate writing I hate doing research papers I hate looking up things yeah I just want to tell you what's on my mind type of person yeah and um yeah, it's like, it's really weird to think about that. Like, you don't think about it until you're already on your career path, right? Of where you came from and who told you from the beginning, like, hey, this is what you're going to do. And then like five years down the line, you're like, wow, that person was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, she was prophetic, man. And I, I would say like, kind of funny story in ninth grade, she was the English teacher in ninth grade as well. And uh, I had a crush on this random girl at our school and we were reenacting this scene from something from Shakespeare maybe something yeah. like that and she was like pairing up students to to act out in front of the class and like it was time for a dance like a kind of romantic little dance and she paired me with that girl I had a crush on so I'm like I think she's a witch or something man like I think <laughs> she knows like she can see the future or like something I don't know Miss Henry you need to come clean it's time say <laughs> <laughs> so, hey if you're a witch it's cool we don't like salem was a long time ago you know i'm cool with it no man we're she, cool she, with it now we just need to know <laughs> yeah yeah and she she's legitimately amazing like obviously i don't want people to get the wrong impression like she's Absolutely. she's a teacher that i've kept in touch with after graduating and gone out to dinner with and things of that nature so she she's just amazing man and fundamentally just correct with my whole career path so kudos yeah. on that for me, it was uh, Mrs. Bixler. I, I hated all my literature and writing classes. I hated them all until I took hers my senior year. And I was like, this is actually fun. 
Yeah. You know? It's like yeah. it just takes that one teacher to make it fun and you're you have a whole new outlook on it all. No doubt, man. And that was huge at WVU as well because the journalism school was actually fun. Like there yeah. again, there's teachers that I still keep in touch with, professors that I still keep in touch with from WVU, which is huge. And they've actually invited me back to speak to their class since then, which obviously that felt amazing to share like some real world experience and remember exactly how they felt sitting there and kind of just share what I've learned throughout the journey. So that was really cool, man. And, and just like you said, the fact that it was fun is what changed everything for me because it's not something I'm proud of, man. But like I've said a few times, when it came time to, you know, really study, really put in that hard research, I just bounced because things are always easy for me. And that I, for better or worse, that's kind of guided where I went because I was like, I'm not going to do this thing that's hard when I can do all these things that are easy and fun for me. So that's just kind of how I've structured my life. And now, you know, getting older, moving on, things like that. When I when I started my own website and, and company last year, um, last summer, obviously a lot of that had to change. But a lot of those, a lot of those bad habits have stuck around as well, man. So it's been a really fun grind and learning experience to say the least. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. I I, I wanted to get into that now because it's like, you know, you you did you did the bleacher report thing. You you to some people that's living the dream, you know, mm -hmm. working for a kind of like a startup sports blog or whatever you want to call it and now to see how big it is mm -hmm. and like you've you've done all that and now you're on your own you have your own website you're still doing a little bit of freelance from what i saw yep so this brings me to the article that you wrote that made me say i need to talk to this guy mm -hmm. the real media versus pretend media argument and you're the perfect person to talk to because like you say inside of it you've done both yeah so like what's that journey been like you know you it, uh if i remember correctly i'm sorry i didn't i didn't refresh myself on the article before this interview but you're i good. think you were like you said something along the lines of you know everything this is all fun like i love all this but sometimes you you love it too much that you whittle yourself like down to the core Mm -hmm. so just tell me like at what aspects of your life or in your career did you see that happening and when has it been the healthiest like when has it been the worst and when have you been at your healthiest I yeah guess, mentally yeah well for sure the worst was you know right before I quit at DK Pittsburgh sports and started my own thing like that that I mean that's why I quit you know it got to a point where it was clearly unhealthy for my life and uh it's like you watch the last dance, the Michael Jordan Bulls thing. Yeah, and like yeah. you, you hear the way Michael Jordan talks and all these stories about him, you know, same could be said for Tiger Woods or any, anybody that's great at anything, the way they devote their life entirely to it. And that's sacrificing relationships. That's sacrificing any, anything that doesn't move you closer to the goal of being the best at that is unacceptable. And it got to a point where I was kind of living that way, but, for Pittsburgh sports journalism. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm not an NBA champion if I do well at this. I'm not the best golfer in the world. I'm just another guy in Pittsburgh talking about the Steelers, maybe doing it better than most people or better than most people. But my ceiling there was still a very low ceiling. Like, no matter how good I got, I was like, it's still not that cool. Like, you look at the guys that are at the top, and this isn't shade to them because they do love what they do, and that's why they do it. But I looked at the guys at the top and I'm like, okay, if I get to that level, 
I still want to go higher than that. And then it yeah. caps off, it caps off on you eventually. And it's still just Pittsburgh, you know, it's Pittsburgh sports, which I grew up loving, which also made it kind of absurd that I was like sacrificing my self, sacrificing myself for this thing that I should be loving completely that I always yeah. have loved my whole life. And now it's making me start to resent it. Like that didn't make any sense in my mind. So, I mean, the the time crunch is one thing like I have as much as I've said, like I, I was never the study or thing like that. I was very much with writing and journalism and things like that, a grinder with content creation because I love doing it like I love yeah. writing. So three, four five articles a day sometimes is not a problem. Like I'll, I'll gladly do that because it because it's awesome to me you're better then, than me <laughs> <laughs> what a yeah, day <laughs> yeah yeah well that's like you said sometimes you hate, one a week <laughs> yeah. yeah man like you said you hate writing this so there's that aspect of exactly. it but <laughs> at, at the time like at dk pittsburgh sports i was also running all their social media helping with marketing and sales campaigns and things like that networking trying to get sponsors for the site things like that so there was a lot on kind of the uh digital marketing side of things as well that went into that job while I was also the full-time pit reporter and a part-time Steelers reporter as part of my duties and also covering the pirates yeah. as needed, like traveling on the road and everything covering the pirates. And man, the, the grind, like I said, it's not that I couldn't do it anymore because I absolutely could still be doing that today. But if it got to a point where I was like, this is sacrificing so much for so little that this just does not make sense anymore to me. So it was a, it was a judgment call on my part, man, about getting out while I still had my mental health somewhat intact. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely took some hits along the way, man. But uh, yeah, dude, that that's pretty much it. It got to the point where I was like, I could do this for this guy and help build his brand, or I could start my own brand and do it for myself and do it in a way that is much healthier for me. So it was exactly. an easy decision. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience with just with this podcast, you know, and I, I, wanna, I just want to touch on what you said first before I throw my story out there, if anybody cares, but <laughs> I care. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, DK, he started his own thing and now, and then he, he has brought people on to help him and it's gotten to where it's at. And it's, it's bigger than what some people would think it would be, but knowing and talking to DK before he, he knows how big it can be in his mind. And it's like, like you said, you were doing all this stuff and it's like, I'm sure he appreciated all of it. But like you said, when it comes down to it, it's like, am I really doing this for me? Yeah. Yep. And I had a similar experience with a friend of mine, Evan, Evan Schindler, uh, whenever he was doing Jag off sports and like I met up with him, we did some content and then he was like, Hey, do you want to write for us? And I was like, yeah, I can give you two blogs a week. And it's like, I'm not like a, I'm not a stats guy. Like I, I told mm -hmm. that to a couple people in the content realm, like, I'm not a stats guy. I like to entertain people. So like these blogs were just like me telling stories or making up funny stories, like parody stories. Dude, that's great. And it was fun and I liked it and I really enjoyed it. And then I was like, I need to do something more to help jag off sports mm -hmm. so i started this podcast and then i was like what else can i do mm -hmm. but then you start to realize or at least in my situation it was like i'm the only one doing anything for this website yeah and yeah. that's when i was like okay do i want to try and make this bigger or do i want to do what benefits myself in my career path and take it on myself and just do that and it's just one of those things. It's like, you got to realize, okay, 
when am I doing it for myself? And when am I doing it for like somebody else's benefit? You know? Yeah. Oh, dude, it's such a great lesson. And that's, that's, that lesson right there is exactly what prompted that blog post that you started this whole conversation with, because that's it, man. You have to know when to tap out. Like you really do not to use a cliche, you know, MMA term on yeah. you guys there, but uh, <laughs> at least you're you... not wearing a tap out shirt. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> Damn that that's in the closet. Don't worry. I got those too. <laughs> but man, you, you have to know like what your limit is and that's going to be different for every person, you know, even at DK, I've seen people come and go plenty there. And I was there for 18 months, which in the grand scheme of things is a really long time at that company. So I knew how much I could take and knew what I was capable of and just literally felt like I had nothing more to prove there and it wasn't worth it anymore. So I, I got what I wanted out of it for sure. It was a great experience and I'll never, you know, say anything negative on that realm. The experience it gave me, I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do what I did immediately after leaving if I didn't do that first, no doubt. Yeah. Like I tell every time I tell somebody like how my stuff's going and they're all like, wow, that sounds amazing. Like, why didn't you do that? before and it's literally like i couldn't do it before yeah, you, needed, <laughs> like, you needed to learn the lessons to be able yes. to know how to how to effectively do it now yeah. yeah man there's this fighter he's currently in bellator he fought for the ufc for a long time this light heavyweight Corey anderson and he we were on a road trip one time with when i was running flow combat with uh my my boy Dwayne finley and we were interviewing Corey, and he said something like it was like pretty profound at the time and it stuck with me ever since then he said Things don't always work out how you want, but they always work out how they need to. Yep. And I was like, that's actually, that's amazing. Like, especially for a fighter to hear that. Cause this is a guy who climbed, you know, very close to the title several times, but would always lose that number one contenders fight. Yeah, yeah. But now he's back in title contention again, like to this day for Bellator. So it's, it's, he's the embodiment of that. It's like, yeah, I might, I might lose and I might have to lose though. Like that loss is what's going to make me better moving forward. So with that whole DK situation and transitioning out of there, starting my own thing, I think about what Corey said. And I'm like, that's so true. Like I, I'm not happy with the way things ended and with the way things were going towards the end that made me feel like I had to quit. But having that experience for sure is what gave me the confidence to set out on my own and take those lessons and be like, I know what not to do. And that's incredibly valuable. <laughs> like you can't really know what to do if you don't know what not to do first. Like if you don't know the rules, you can't break them kind of deal. Yeah, so yeah. So it was that, man. So after that, it's like not a great experience, but a very necessary experience. Yeah. And I mean, you know, getting back to the essence of the article, the pretend media and like how, you know, some of us, we do it like me. I just I just told you beforehand, like I had to take a break. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm only doing one podcast, but there's so much that goes into doing this one podcast. It's like you're reaching out to people, you're sending emails you're dealing with not getting replies to those emails, uh, right? Dude, it's all the mental shit that happens mm -hmm. dealing mm -hmm. with that. It's but rough, man. Someone who is in this pretend media space, I, everybody gives them the credit they're due. I almost hate giving them the credit because it's just all the time. So you guys are great. Is Tyler and Zach Smith, Smith, Tyler, right. Tyler Weeks and Zach Smith. I almost couldn't say their names that way because I'm actually friends with them and like I call them by their <laughs> nicknames. <laughs> right, right. But it's like those guys with around the 412 have really honed in on the fact that we're doing this for fun. And if nobody likes it, nobody likes it. If everybody loves it, then we'll bring them along for the ride and we'll see what we can do with it. And that's, I really, 
they're what I think a lot of podcast, like small time podcasters or whatever, aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Just, let's go do this for fun. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And we just have a place where we can talk about Pittsburgh sports. Yeah, dude, 100%. And that's, you know, if you, I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast at all, but you're at least aware of it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, biggest podcast in the world and that's exactly what he talks about all the time he's like do you guys remember our first couple episodes where we were literally just a couple friends getting high on a couch and with a microphone yeah. <laughs> like that was it it's like even it he's like i never expected it to get to this point but we just stayed true to it man and around the 412 is very similar i'm glad you brought them up because they're great guys first of all they deserve the love and exposure but second of all, they really are an example of what I think is the right way to do things in that you're not sacrificing every part of yourself for this thing, but you're allowing the parts of you that are, you know, emotionally invested in the sports and proud of the sports and excited about the sports for negative or positive reasons. Like they'll rip the teams whenever they're bad as well, Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're letting it go in such a way that it's fun for them to talk about it versus, Oh, I have to analyze every aspect of this game for our readers. It's not, it's not like that. Like, and that's not what sports are all about. So that's why I think that real versus pretend media debate is so silly, man, because the real media is actually faker than pretend media. Like, like you literally have to suppress so much of yourself to cover the sport that it's not the truth at all, man. And that flies right in the face of journalism. So that's a huge, I mean, we, this is a philosophical journalism debate for sure, because oh, it's how I've felt ever since even journalism school, you know, they hammer out, there's no bias in your story. You can never have bias in your story. And it's like, but thing is professor i'm a human being so yeah. <laughs> i have i have bias inherently inside me like I, it's not that i want to project bias and i never seek out like oh let me go write this super biased story but it's like whenever i write about literally anything if i'm writing about it in a true way it's going to reflect my bias that is me because it's me writing it so if i'm writing honestly it's going to be biased like there's no way to cut it out because that's what i am so they're like around the 412 is like the podcast version i think of that ethos where it's like we are who we are and that's it and that's the truest podcast you could get so i love that for them man. and there's obviously you know other people doing similar things and kudos to them because that's the way to do it the sad part of it is you do things the traditional way you know what i would the the real media way there's way more full-time jobs in that world. Like yeah. when I was working at DK Pittsburgh sports, it was a solid salary. You could count on that paycheck. You had health benefits. It was good. You were set in that department where you didn't have to worry. Whereas whenever you're grinding, like around the 412, you know, I have no idea what kind of money they make, but I assume it's not like a full-time living wage yet. Yeah. I mean, from what I know, like they don't tell me everything, obviously they like to keep it close to the vest, but yeah, like they, they make a couple bucks from their one, uh, their presenting sponsor, which I think is crow worthy. Um, they make money f- a little bit from them. Like it's like pocket change. Uh-huh. And then they have their real jobs. And like, I think that's what people don't understand either is that they do all these giveaways and shit. Yeah. That's coming out of their pocket. That's not right. like, Oh, we got a sponsor. It's like, yeah, they don't no. have, they don't have a sponsor paying for that. They're paying sure. for that because they love it. And they yeah. want to give back to the people that have given their time to them. Yeah, dude, they're so good at so many aspects of this whole thing. Like the giveaways you just mentioned, they're so huge on social media, as you've seen. Like if you want to get followers, 
pro tip give something away <laughs> yeah people will absolutely follow i've you done it giving, yeah yeah <laughs> if you're giving away free stuff people will come 100 of the time so it's 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 cool to watch them navigate that and like you said knowing that they still have full-time jobs which gets lost in a lot of shuffles like a lot of just like take who whatever Steelers reporter is your favorite a- any of those top level Steelers reporters guys that are at every game and talking about everything that's what they do they're not doing other stuff they're not it, it like almost 100 of the time they're not doing other stuff other than focusing on that Steelers beat and owning that Steelers beat because or or they're doing several of the same thing sure that's that's a like good point too. like i i've noticed uh christopher carter he's one of my favorites now he, he nice. does dk he does locked on he does like he he's all over the place yeah i love it i love that almost anywhere i go for steelers content he's carter's there oh uh, yeah dude carter is the man so carter's a guy for sure from my time at dk i still keep in touch with him have have beers with him when i can talk to him when i can he was actually at the latest uh, two, four, seven fighting championships card oh, that nice. they had in, in Monroeville. So I got him tickets to that, to show up. He and his, uh, girl had a great time there. So Car- Carter's the man dude. And he, again, like you want to talk about around the four, one, two being a good example. I would, I would for sure throw Carter into that discussion as a great example of how to diversify yourself and don't get stuck in that one place. Like he's working for all these different outlets, doing it kind of piecemealing it all together. Yeah. That's where it's going, man. That's absolutely where this whole thing is going. I mean, just to tie it back to MMA, because it's what I can speak to the best. Um, Ariel Hawani is the premier MMA journalist on earth. You know, he was working for ESPN on TV. He was everywhere cashing, you know, six figure checks a year. I'm sure <laughs> like, like high level six figure checks as well from what I've heard. So good for you, Ariel. And uh, his, his contract came up for ESPN and he didn't renew. And as I understand it, you know, I haven't dug in super deep, but as I understand it, it was Ariel's decision to step away. And now what he's doing is he has all these different service. He's working for all these different people. Now he's starting his own brand. You know, I'm not tied. I'm not Ariel Hawani ESPN. I'm just Ariel Hawani and get me where you want me. You know, I'm going to do all this different stuff, get it wherever you want it. And, I and mean, look at who kind of pioneered that. It's a guy from Plumborough, Pennsylvania, Pat McAfee. He kind of pioneered that idea of I'm the brand. Mm-hmm. I'll go where I'm wanted. Yep. Yep. McAfee, I would, I would probably throw Bill Simmons into the discussion as well as an early guy that said, I don't need ESPN to do what I do. And that's, that's awesome, man. Like the, that's like you said, McAfee did it a while ago. So it's not like it's this new concept, but it is in the grand scheme of things, it is still a very new concept for guys to do this because you can get tied down. You know, the athletic comes knocking and says, I want to pay you $120,000 a year to cover the Steelers. That's tough to turn down. Yeah, you know like, I mean? turn that down. Sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> tough to turn down. But now guess what? You're a Steelers writer for the athletic and that's all you are. So don't forget that either because you can't go anywhere else. You signed the contract, you know, you're, you're with us. So that's the give and take, man. But when you get to that elite level, like when you are an Ariel Hawani, it's, it's awesome to see that he understood that he did not need ESPN anymore because it's, it's, it's ESPN. That's every kid that grew up loving sports or writing about sports. It's ESPN is the dream. You know, yep. he had, he had kind of that dream kid pie in the sky job and said, I can actually do more by untethering myself. So it's very, I mean, definitely I took inspiration from that. Like you said, McAfee, Bill Simmons, obviously all these guys doing that kind of thing. I was like, let's, let's work for me once instead of all these other people. 
Yeah. And I mean, what you just said about Ariel is kind of full circle to what you said earlier about how, like, you know, every kid's dream is to get the ESPN. Whereas for you, it was, you know, I wanted to be a Pittsburgh sports writer. But then mm-hmm. once you get there, it kind of seems like it's just a stepping off point. Yes. Yeah. So. 100%. It's funny, man. I actually realized it um, uh, shortly into my time with DK, I'd say like six months in. And I distinctly remember I was in San Francisco covering the Pirates Giants series at Oracle Park. And Nubias Wilborn from the Post-Gazette was sitting right beside me. And we had a good rapport and everything. Nubias is the man. Man, I like that guy a ton and respect what he does. And we talked a lot on the road because not every outlet sends writers on the road. So it's kind of like DK, Post-Gazette, you know, Trib. Like you you have your little click, so to say, yeah, on, the, yeah. on the road. Like you know your guys. So Nubias was there and I was talking to him. And it was after the game. We had both filed our stories and we were just thinking about heading out for a beer. And I remember just talking about our careers and I I remember distinctly telling him at the time I was like dude this isn't this isn't where it ends for me like I'm I'm here now but I'm not here forever man like this isn't what I want to do with my life so to speak like this isn't my end goal and it it, I mean kind of called like Miss Henry there channel my Miss Henry called my shot there but it's not it's not amazing because that's how life works man when you align your mind with an idea or a goal you will get there like as silly as the the secret is and stuff like that. Like the things that these guys talk about, you know, the law of attraction. I don't think it's necessarily like an instant win. Like I can't just sit here and think about a million dollars and get a million dollars. But when you align your mind with realistic goals and realistic ideas of, you know, this isn't where I'm ended. This isn't my ending point. I'm on to better things soon. And you start actually working towards that and building that man, there, there's something to it for sure. The, the power of your mind is actually amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's awesome. That's an, I think that's an awesome place for us to leave off. But before we get out of here, just let everybody know, what, what are you up to now? And where can everybody catch up with you? For sure, man. My website is just homestech.com. It's H-O-M-I-S-T-E-K.com. All my social media and stuff's on there. Contact info's on there. Uh, if you guys want to get in touch with me, that's a great way. You could also just find me on social media at Hunter A. Homestech. So I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the, all the typical places, you know? So, but yeah, man, what I'm doing right now is I have some clients in the local Pittsburgh region. So I do, I handle digital marketing, social media and website ads, things of that nature for various clients in Pittsburgh right now, moon golf club out in moon Hampton beer outlet in Allison park, nice. two, two, four, seven fighting championships locally here in Pittsburgh as well. And then I, like you kind of mentioned earlier, I do a lot of freelance as well. So anytime somebody just needs something written, needs help with a website, needs some SEO done on their site, maybe social media, whatever it is, man, I'm happy to chip in and help. And uh, yeah, man, it's great. But a shout out to those three main clients for sure, because they're awesome. They're local. And it's funny, beer, golf, and MMA, dude. Like, like I said, Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you align your mind to something, man, you can make it happen. Like Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hunter, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm glad we could get this interview done finally. I mean, hey, it gave me the time off that I needed. I know that. <laughs> right on, dude. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy, man. I'm happy to get it done. Like you said, it was a killer interview. I wish you all the best for sure. All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. 
The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today at our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.